Progressive presents an interview with your upstairs neighbor. Hey, it's Rick from upstairs. Yeah, I take it seriously. When I play R&B at one in the morning, that's me saying, hey, I'm here for you. And I enjoy repetitive bass lines. I only use expired batteries in my smoke detectors. <laughs> nice, right? Yeah, upstairs neighbors help people forget their troubles. Give them something else to focus on. Ooh, want to see how high I can jump? Progressive can't save you from your upstairs neighbor. No, wait, let me try again. But we can save you money when you bundle renters and auto insurance with us. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Bundle discount not available in all states or situations. HD Smartcast. You are listening to a Mint production brought to you by HD Smartcast. COVID nineteen has put the healthcare industry under a spotlight. It brought out many challenges that the healthcare sector and as a result customers faced. But the disruption has also thrown many opportunities for the sector. In fact, it has made digital adoption in healthcare a serious point of discussion. Hello and welcome to our Pivot or Perish series. I'm Deepthi Bhaskaran and today our focus is on the healthcare sector where we talk to experts to understand their journey through this pandemic and what lies ahead. Joining me to moderate the event is my colleague Neetu Chandra Sharma. Hi. On the panel today we have Dr. Sangeeta Reddy, Joint MD Apollo Hospital. Umang Bora, MD and Global CEO of CIPLA, Anil Vinayak, Group Chief Operating Officer, Fortis Healthcare, Prashant Sandhan, Founder and CEO, One MD, and Swapna Babat, Senior Director, Sales Engineering Automation Anywhere. Good evening. So I'm going to start the discussion by asking um, uh, Sangeeta and Anil about the challenges that they faced uh, in this pandemic. Um, you know, initially treatment was under government control and then it opened up to the private sector. And then we saw a host of challenges faced by private hospitals in terms of availability of beds, escalation uh, in costs, etc. etc. So, you know, Sangeeta, maybe you should go first and sort of give us, uh, you know, how have your first months been? Um, so clearly 2020 will go down as the COVID year. Or in, in some ways for the world, I think the reboot era. Undoubtedly, it's a year where humanity has realized that there's a new playbook. We need to do things differently. I believe that one of the important aspects of this entire scenario is that uh, we are beginning to realize that healthcare is not just the responsibility of the hospital or of the doctor or of the government, but it's society as a whole. Because in as much as treatment played an important role, there was prevention, there was the importance of wearing a mask, there was the whole aspect of figuring out where to go. But just very quickly to talk about what we did, once we realized that this was significant, it was large, we needed to gear up, uh, we created what we call the polo coverage, which is a protective shield. The first level of the shield was really the right information for people. So uh, using our mobile app, we did a risk scan. So the risk scan, which is enabled by artificial intelligence, uh, you know, kind of went through symptoms, scenarios, risk and exposure, told people what the risk was. Over 13 million people have taken the scan. The pharmacy stepped up in terms of availability of products, hygiene products, masks, sanitizers, and then the treatment. The hospitals began to understand that they need to gear up. First, I think we played a role in reaching out to government uh, to ask, what are we going to do? What is the best way to do this? Uh, we spoke about building dedicated centers because India had the advantage of two things. One is the rest of the world got it a little earlier than us. 
and we have the lockdown. Taking the advantage of that planning, we actually said, can we create dedicated towers? Can we create, you know, 500 bed hospitals? We'll all pool resources together. Some of those plans didn't happen, but at least as hospitals, we said we would not mix our COVID and non-COVID patients because we must remember one very important thing that uh, cardiac emergencies or MIs or cancer or, you know, you know, accidents don't recognize corona. They come anyway. So we have to treat a stroke as well as a corona patient. So I do. how do we isolate? How do we keep patients uh, safe? Then came, I think, the very important aspect of what was the clinical protocol. Because if you see in the last five months, the treatment protocols have really evolved. So the need for us to stay connected with global best practice and then connect our own teams. Today, we have almost 2,000 breads spread across 17, 18 locations, uh, people in different cities. So we created, you know, the right kind of uh, team, Microsoft Teams, a daily update program, updation of the, the protocols. We are into our 24th edition of the COVID Red Book, which is the Apollo Treatment Protocol. And then we said this is not just for us. We shared it widely with nursing homes. How do we bring in others to share this knowledge? So I think the combination of, you know, steroid, antiviral, remdesivir, uh, treatment at what stage, uh, the innovation on the prone keeping the patient prone the fact that you need n95 and the ppes now we've gone into putting respirators wherever we can or the the personalized respirators so all these protocols kept evolving what's the right source of buying the ppe how do we buy at scale so that our nurses are never exposed all these were various learnings across medical teams infrastructure pharmacy and their supplies uh, advanced treatment, outpatient, the whole aspect of testing. We had to gear up our testing capability. Today we're doing over, I think, 3,000 tests per day for various testing. But we had to gear up, train people, the reporting mechanisms, and then government policy. Every state had a different policy. So every hospital had to comply with their state policy while being guided with the Polo Central policy. So that combination was a huge learning as well. And, and I must say that, you know, that the teams have really stepped up. And to summarize it, you know, one of our people said, why are we doing all this? Why can't we just wait it out, continue to treat our patients? And then someone in the team said, we will stand up and fight COVID. You know, whether it's with the government, supportive, whatever, we will do it because it's the right thing to do and because our patients expect it of us. So once that philosophy of caring and you know taking care happened, then many, many steps of the Apollo coverage came into place. And uh, I, I think that we can write many books on this. Uh, last line before I hand over to my colleagues who actually I'm sure have had great stories as well, is that we spent a uh, good time building uh, two other important things. One was the... Uh, uh, Life After Lockdown, the guideline for corporates and how they reopen. And that book has been widely shared and, uh, you know, FIKI, CII, everybody used it. The other important one, which I'm very proud of, is the ventilator training program. That we, we taught people how those who hadn't used ventilator and used the best-in-class learning management system, content, simulation. So many people have taken those online courses. 
Uh, and uh, I think the telemedicine aspect itself has been amazing because many of our patients who couldn't reach our doctors physically met them for the first time on telemedicine. And this is, you know, it's been an inflection point for the adoption of telemedicine and it's a change that's here to stay. And on this one, I must congratulate the government because they actually brought out the regulation, which they had been working on for three or four years, I think. But it just came out in a few months. And uh, so, so that's been a great thing. Yeah, yeah, so we look forward to more books, certainly. Anil, yeah. I would go over to you and ask you. And also, you know, uh, tell us a bit about the fact that, see, initially uh, the treatment was under government control. And we know that in India, uh, healthcare is uh, private sector is a huge part of healthcare in India, unlike the West. Um, so, did that put you uh, at a disadvantage that you were not in the fight right from the right from the word go, and you were sort of private sector was brought in subsequently? Did that uh, disrupt anything, or how was that speaking? So, I, I'll correct that impression a bit. Yeah. Uh, while you're right that, you know, in certain parts of the country, the government decided to do it themselves initially and then subsequently brought in the private sector. There were other parts of the country like Mumbai, for example, where from the beginning, uh, the government and uh, private sector together worked to make sure that patients were getting treatment options. So I think we had that advantage of being in multiple geographies and therefore being more prepared. I think what this taught us really was, uh, you know, two words come to mind. One is... Uh, uncertainty and how to deal with that and second is constant evolution you know and we learned uh, what VUCA really means right uh, before this one had just you know that was just a term but uh, when things are ever changing when you start from a situation where uh, you don't have cases in the country and you hear about all the stuff from abroad and then uh, constant evolution over many many um, days and months uh, and and then you come up with protocols that today perhaps are best in class if you look at the kind of outcomes that the entire uh, uh, that the country is demonstrating today in terms of being able to manage reasonably large numbers uh, you, you kind of forget that most hospitals aren't equipped to handle you know infectious diseases beyond uh, a few a handful of numbers and from there today you know to have uh, thousands of patients being treated uh, in our healthcare infrastructure and treated with the best of outcomes is, I think, a huge journey that, you know, together with the government, uh, you know, private sector hospitals have, have sort of walked that path. And I think through that journey, the learnings have been uh, like in any change, you know, you need to be uh, on your feet, you need to have empowered teams at the front end who are watching, monitoring, uh, making the decisions, and then communicating, constantly communicating within uh, the cities, uh, learning from each other, and, and making changes as you go along, uh, not waiting for a perfect answer. So I think that's what we all collectively demonstrated. Sangeeta just talked about a lot of this. So just one small example, you know, from zero telemedicine consults, right, in this uh, in our network, uh, to 20% of our current volumes being on teleconsult and video consult in a matter of three months or four months is, is remarkable. Similarly, like I said, you know, having perhaps not even... We started with just 150 beds devoted to uh, COVID, you know, and that took a lot of our uh, effort to even set up in terms of manpower, treatment protocols, uh, how do we staff it, how do we isolate it and so on, how do we provide the PPE for it. And today we are at 1200 and we have the confidence that if it is if required, 
we can scale up further, right? Uh, all the way till uh, the requirement is. So I think that's the beauty of what uh, has been accomplished in the in the sector, and I feel very proud, along with my colleagues, uh, you know, Doctor Doctor uh, Sangeeta Ji, of course, is a stalwart of the industry, but everybody has played a very strong role of partnership, and I think the country uh, should be proud of where we are. Of course, don't want to rest on our laurels. Uh, this is going to be the new normal, uh, and and that's another example. All the way back to the 3rd of May, we published the first handbook that says that life has changed forever. And what does that mean for us in a hospital? And how do we change each touch point of the hospital in order to adapt? And that booklet is again, like Sanita Ji also mentioned, it's not a standalone or, you know, uh, uh, or a unchanging booklet. It's having to be revised uh, as we go along. So I'm fairly confident uh, that we will weather this together and uh, we come out of this uh, stronger and with more resilience for uh, the future in situations like this again. Yeah, Anil, you have made a very uh, valid point. So coming back to the revenues that uh, healthcare sector has actually uh, you know, uh, been losing on. So revenues have definitely come under strain, and uh, but now the economy is in phase three of the unlock. Has the situation improved? And how long before normalcy to return? Uh, so, uh, okay, so yes, situation is improving, but slowly, right? Because like we said, this is the new normal, social distancing, uh, you know, and, and taking all possible precautions definitely is here to stay. Uh, secondly, of course, there's this fear of, uh, of uh, hospitals and, and uh, there's this avoidance of what is termed as elective, right? Uh, and that continues. So there is a slow growth back. Uh, my sense is it will still take us several months before we are back to normal. Um, yes, of course, financially, it's putting a great deal of strain on on all the healthcare providers, and we are no exception. Um, um, you know, but these are times that we have to tide over together. So coming back to pharmaceutical sector, even for the pharmaceutical companies, this COVID-19 pandemic would have been a challenging time, given the race to come up with drugs to battle with the virus and certainly its supply also. So I would come to Umang. Uh, Umang, do take us through your journey. So I said, you know, the normal keeps changing. So you have microphones that are muted, unmuted, etc. But uh, I think uh, from our perspective, and let me give you a, a good snapshot of where we stand. Um, I think if I was to take two things away from the COVID pandemic, the first is that humanity won, right? I think it's remarkable the type of work that's happened in hospitals. It's remarkable the type of work that we're seeing is happening with, with other intermediaries. I'm sure Prashant will speak after me. And uh, it's just remarkable to see what's happened. And the second thing, I think this was a time when everyone really worked with their heart. And if I was to you know, step by and, and think about all the 25,000 employees that CIPLA has, it's remarkable how much of working from the heart has really resulted uh, in terms of what we could do for society. So those are two key big messages for me. But let's go back, let's rewind. Uh, March, uh, we have 5,000 people at our sites, right? So the moment the pandemic hits, um, we've got to worry about how we, how we plan for safety for these people, because if each of our employees can show up, then the hospitals can be supplied with medicines. Um, then the rest of the healthcare system can work. So we've had to rapidly change things. We had to rapidly change how they were transported. We had to rapidly change how we maintain social distancing within a pharmaceutical setup. And finally, we also had to think about how we would deliver drugs. A lot of the country was in lockdown. We had to experiment with formats. Um, we latched onto other forms of distribution, which were non-pharma as well, to make sure that medicines reached. But we also had to have the right product portfolio, right? And so 
getting remdesivir in, getting Actemra in, Tocilizumab, uh, getting a, a new, we created a new range of hand sanitizers. So it was just remarkable how quickly we've repositioned our portfolio. It was truly remarkable how quickly we've repositioned our working habits, right? That there were times when, and, and you know, contrary to us calling everything new normal, I think a normal is redefined every week, right? So what is happening in with, with our facilities in Sikkim is completely different than what's happening in our facilities in Indore. And remember, we, we're talking about 5,000 people coming into work every day, right? Um, so we've, we've learned how to how to decentralize our management a lot more. I think there's been tremendous site leadership across people. The leaders on the ground are making the difference everywhere. Um, but it's so much, uh, it's so enthralling to see how everyone's worked from the heart. So portfolio, work processes, what we've done in our factories, all of that uh, we've changed. But let me also talk about what we've learned. And I think that's more important. Um, uh, you know, I'm, I keep mentioning this, there is no normal. The normal will keep re getting redefined, right? So when we come back, to work, there's a new normal. When we are when we are right now in this situation, there's a normal. And this normal was very different than the normal when we began to lock down in March. Uh, so we're getting used to that. I think acceptance is the first thing for everyone that there is, you know, uh, if you go back to your, to your offices and you're wearing masks, it's not like before, right? You can't go out, you can't touch people, you can't hug them, you can't give them a pat on the back. It's very different. And I think the first thing is just this acceptance. But the bigger thing for us is just this whole ability and what a wonderful opportunity to reimagine how healthcare uh, is going to reach people. It's, it's just remarkable. We're seeing, you know, I, I think the gentleman before me from Fortis uh, mentioned that there are so many teleconsults. We're seeing the same across. It's not just with doctors and hospitals. We're seeing huge teleconsults with doctors today uh, in, in the way we reach the docs and the way the doctors are reaching their patients. We're seeing patients want wanting to make this journey of illness to wellness by themselves, right? And I think now patients want to manage their health a lot better. And I'm sure Prashant will talk about it, uh, you know, just after that. But it's just remarkable, these shifts. I think in our industry, these dislocations happened and they existed. And we needed a crisis to be able to put and wrap these together. And I'm so glad and fortunate that we're in the middle of all of this, trying to reimagine how healthcare could be delivered in India. So. Uh, it's been stressful, but it's been very exciting. And, um, you know, at the end, just the spirit of humanity and the spirit of people working with their heart. That's truly come out tops for me uh, in this entire pandemic. Um, uh, the digital infrastructure sort of gaining center stage with telemedicine, e-pharmacies, etc. And rightly so, I think, Prashant, you should go next and sort of Tell us about your experience, really, pre-COVID and post-COVID. You know, now uh, has the focus been on um, the digital ecosystem to sort of uh, complement the healthcare space? And what was it like pre-COVID? You know, I mean, I, I'm I'm very interested to sort of see the contrast in experience. Yeah, so I think ours was one of those sectors that saw COVID as a structural uh, boost, and suddenly we were. Um, dealing with the demand, the scale of which uh, we had to gear up overnight almost. And, and you know, in a lot of ways, um, and I completely echo what Atumang um, uh, just mentioned, it's seeing the teams um, step up, put their heart into something and also do it with a spirit of service. I think once it's, there's a mission mode, there's a crisis, uh, you just realize that, okay, there was so much um, 
energy and latent potential that was waiting to be unleashed. And uh, we're, it's just fascinating to see that happen. So what happened pre-COVID, uh, of course, uh, I think uh, uh, for a lot of people or for a bunch of the ecosystem, digital health was on the periphery. Uh, it was a good to have. It was a, a, a service for uh, convenience and uh, and cost benefit, um, but not necessarily mainstream. And I think that structurally changed with COVID. Um, what has changed is um, starting from the, uh, of course, from the consumer perspective. Um, and as a platform, our business is uh, basically providing information, uh, e-pharmacy, e-diagnostics, and telemedicine. And uh, all these lines of business just saw uh, a very different uh, normal, uh, so to speak. And what was it was uh, the thing that happened was a lot of people who had never tried the digital channel now were online asking for all these services, trying to learn how these platforms work. And because nobody wanted to expose themselves into any um, uh, situation or, or a place uh, which could be a center of infection. And um, uh, for better or worse, healthcare facilities topped that list. So going to a doctor's clinic, a diagnostic lab or a pharmacy for something that was not related to COVID was a big no-no. And um, an e-pharmacy, e-diagnostics, e-consultation just turned out to be the, the safer way for people to engage with healthcare. And I think the bigger change that we also saw along with that, like from the consumer side, certainly the demand went up and uh, it was uh, a very, very uh, refreshing and significant jump up, at least 450, 500% jump uh, in a couple of uh, days is what we suddenly saw uh, for a bunch of our services. That was obviously encouraging, but that was a lot of stress because we had to deliver all that in a situation where logistics were broken, supply chains were just not happening. And every day would present new challenges, new opportunities and um, and new issues. And uh, that's where uh, what we felt was uh, happened pretty quickly was the government took note, first of all, that digital healthcare needs to be a part of the health delivery architecture of the country. So when the first lockdown happened, and the, uh, when the prime minister came on TV and said, don't put pressure on the hospital system and uh, use telemedicine. And then two days later, we had the telemedicine guidelines. Um, a very, very significant shift was uh, was beginning to happen that time. Uh, similarly, the, the first uh, lockdown guidelines mentioned the essential services for the country and e-commerce for pharmaceuticals was uh, designated as one of those services which were permitted during the lockdown. So all these were uh, actually seismic events because for many, many, many years, these had been questions of uh, how, what, what will be the model regulatory interfacing this, that. And suddenly it was, it's not just uh, 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 something uh, that they need to figure out. It's an essential service now that needs to be provided. So what we are seeing now is that the digital healthcare is becoming a part of the healthcare service delivery architecture of the country in a very meaningful way. And I think in a, uh, in 15th August, we would be expecting the National Digital Health Mission uh, probably to, to be uh, launched. And all of these are, sometimes it takes a crisis for, um, th uh, these things were bound to happen. It would have happened over the next three years, four years. I think it just happened over three, four weeks. That's um, that's what because if you see from 
just the telemedicine perspective china came up with an internet hospital concept for telemedicine back in 2012 when covid hit china their entire ecosystem was ready for the home based healthcare delivery um we took our time but uh, i think the benefit of it happening in india is at some point in some place some people were always working on things um and and but now today china is doing around 2.5 million daily online consultations with an explicit goal to reduce the load on the hospitals of the uh, the tertiary care for primary care staff now in india that entire market would be like 20 30000 consults a day today probably 60 80000 consults a day we still have a long way to go but i think um, this this is a this is the moment of truth uh, for this ecosystem at least sangeeta you want yeah, to say I something i want to quickly add one thing to prashant's comment india's first teleconsult happened in the year 2000 so we we connected our village uh, with with a super speciality hospital so you know as people who have been working on this system for a long time it gives me great happiness and joy to see this happen and i believe also that those who were ready have been able to respond quickly uh, those who had scalable systems will be able to uh, you know really ramp up but the important thing i think both in uh, e education where you know zoom classes are happening and in telemedicine where now people are thinking that a whatsapp call is a teleconsult i just want to put one word of uh, you know caution that we must do it right just connecting is perfect in a crisis but ongoing let's have the quality let's do a proper electronic health record let's have standards let's make sure the doctor is certified and displays his registration number things like that are important for the quality and the sustainability of a country as you know important significant and capable as india and india is very capable in the healthcare field also i want to give lots of credit uh, to the um, customers or the consumers because 80% of teleconsult users were first time users but they adopted they came on board and because of their readiness for innovation even healthcare providers were able to innovate so we in fact tied up with hotels lemon tree oyo etc and created observation and maintenance and isolation rooms so we're running over a thousand of those hotel rooms converted but they're safe because they have a telemedicine overlay on them and we're able to supervise the patient so innovation like that happened also because the consumer was ready uh, to to innovate and this is also because of the fact that india has a digital backbone our mobile phone smartphone users are in place our connectivity is in place and this is a powerful enabler that i give the government full credit for so if you position that on top of a ready consumer some good framework and creative providers uh, i think there's a lot that we can do and i believe also that we can do it for india as well as for the world because uh, you know telemedicine is really a global phenomena where india can play a very active role and on the pharmacy i would really like to uh, you know as people on 24/7 we have a digital pharmacy but we also have like the country's largest network of physical pharmacies and i think uh, this combination of being physical and digital is really uh, the long term module or the formula the digital is going to be the way of the future and i commend those teams as well you know some of them were in red zone some of them had to come to work irrespective so the entire healthcare uh, warriors across the country uh, apollo's our own team but all the people government non government private small nursing home 
everybody must really be commended for what they have done, what they have withstood, and how they were so brave. I mean, small nurses in in all-encompassing PPEs. Uh, it's images like that that I think we can never forget, and we should always be grateful to our healthcare workers. I have personally visited a COVID ward, uh, not once, but, you know, multiple times and seen there's a certain tension, there's a certain fear, and yet they go ahead smilingly and bravely and do what's right for the patient. So I hope this will always be remembered. Mm, okay. This was a Mint production brought to you by HD Smartcast. HD Smartcast. I'm Annie Apple, and I'm here to invite you to come and listen to my new podcast series, Raising April. It's the most intimate sports-related conversations you will hear. Each week, we explore the journeys of some of your favorite NFL players through the eyes of those that know them best. From Joe Burrow, DeAndre Hopkins, Miles Garrett, Ezekiel Elliott, Nick and Joey Boza, just to name a few. With exclusive insights and information, we leave no stone unturned. Subscribe now to Raising a Pro on your favorite podcast app.